0: Welcome to the Farm and Fiddle podcast. Our podcast is based on Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that airs on KOPN 89.5 FM from Columbia, Missouri and KOPN.org on the web. We are the nation's oldest radio program celebrating rural life and sustainability. This interview with Carol David Director of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, originally aired on September 22nd, 2021. I am your host, Margot McMillan, and I'm glad you're with us. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Wednesday nights is 6 p.m. on KOPN 89.5 FM and KOPN.org. And it's where the birds and the bees and the donkeys and the fiddles all come together I'm your host, Margot McMillan. And we're all glad that you're here, too. Thanks for listening. Carol David, executive director of Missouri Prairie Foundation, and learn about prairies. Well, thank you, Carol David, for being with us on Farm and Fiddle this evening. And uh, let's just start out. We're going to talk about Missouri Prairie Foundation. Let's just start with uh, what is Missouri Prairie Foundation?
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me on your show And the Missouri Prairie Foundation is a nonprofit conservation organization and land trust. And uh, what land trusts do is they protect land. And the way we protect land is we acquire original unplowed prairie whenever we have the means to do so from willing sellers. And we also will buy land um, that might be a former crop field, maybe a fescue field, and we will reconstruct prairie using seeds from original unplowed prairies. And the Missouri Prairie Foundation was founded in 1966, We're supported by members from about 1500 households, mm-hmm. and uh, also supported by public and private uh, grants um, and, uh, and other sources of funding. And the Prairie Foundation was created in 1966 because the, our founders were aware of the rapidly disappearing prairie and felt that an organization devoted exclusively to prairie was needed in order to protect as much that was still left. Mm -hmm. Um, Up until uh, statehood, so here we are in our bicentennial year, so 200 years ago, up until 200 years ago, we had about 15 million acres of prairie in our state and today we have fewer than 51,000 scattered acres of original unplowed prairie. So that's less than one half of 1%. Mm. And prairie is an extremely biologically diverse ecosystem. In fact, it can, uh, and, and really some of the most diverse habitat on earth and it is more rare than many kinds of tropical rainforests. And so we have it right here in Missouri and in other parts of um, central part of, of North America, um, tall grass prairie that is, but there are many different kinds of native grasslands all over North America. There are coastal grasslands from Texas to New York. There are small uh, very interesting prairies in places like Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee and Georgia, uh, Arkansas, and of course there's uh, larger expanses of grassland in the Great Plains, Kansas, and Missouri is kind of in between. We have tall grass prairie, but we also have some prairies in the in the southern part of the state, southwestern especially that um, have, in some cases, more things in common with prairies in southeastern United States. Um, And in addition to to focusing on prairie, we also do, we are interested as an organization in protecting other kinds of native grasslands. And those would include glades, which are dry, rocky openings within woodlands, mostly in the Ozarks. Also fens, which are a kind of, wetland uh, grassy wetland type um, often found in the Ozarks. So that's why we were founded to protect a rapidly disappearing e- ecosystem so that we have um, have as much as we possibly can going forward into the future.
0: Interesting. So you, you use the word tall grass prairie which makes me think of tall grasses Many of the pictures that we see, or um, the if we would look at a catalog of, of prairie plants, they're flowering. So, what does a pra- what does a prairie look like? What, how would we know if we were in a prairie? <laughs>
1: That's a good question, <laughs> and you're right. Tall grass prairie is a category of grassland, and you're right; it can be misleading because you're absolutely right. Prairies are much more than grass. In Missouri, if we look at all prairie types that were remaining, there are at least 800 different kinds of plants, and uh, so yes, prairies in Missouri are uh, made up of numerous species of grasses, sedges, which is a grass-like plant, and many different kinds of uh, wildflowers with you know with, with often with brightly colored petals. And how would we know? Well one way that ecologists know is to look for species of plants that you don't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but there are plants that can occur in a prairie that we would find in other places. So I'll give you an example. So common ragweed, it's a native plant. We can find it in an original unplowed prairie, and we can also find it in a fallow field, in a ditch, in a vacant lot. So if we were to find an area with ragweed in it, we wouldn't necessarily know that where we were because that's a generalist plant. It can grow in many different kinds of habitats. However, if we were in a grassy area and we found a grass pink orchid, we would know that we were in a prairie. It might be degraded with invasive plants in it. There might be some brush or invading trees. But if we found, a grass pink orchid or if we saw for example a regal fritillary butterfly we would know that we were in a remnant prairie those are two examples of plants and animals that are restricted to remnants to 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 remnants of, of to of specific types of habitats so those are prairie remnant specific plants and animals that's two ex- a plant and an animal example.
0: Uh-huh. Well, okay. Part of your mission is to preserve these prairies, and I guess probably to restore them if they've been um, degraded with some kind of an invasive. Um. So how do you go about maintaining a prairie? Because it sounds like a lot of different it's an, it provides habitat for a lot of different kinds of flowers that and plants that um, might not be prairie
1: plants. There are many uh, private individuals who, who have farms, who might have row crops, but then they might also have some unplowed prairie or a glade uh, on their property as well. And there are many private individuals who um, have enrolled in different federal or state cost share programs, to get some funding to help them manage their original prairie remnant, or maybe a glade, or or maybe open woodlands, and they would use those same tools: prescribed fire, um, sometimes mechanical removal, you know, chainsaws, <laughs> um, and also herbicide. In some cases, with um, some with brush, you can't just um, cut it down; you need to to paint the cut stump with an herbicide to prevent it from resprouting.
0: Mm.
1: Eastern red cedar though, of course is native, but pre Euro-American settlement, you would have found it mostly along bluff, bluff tops and cliffs mm. where fire wouldn't have been able to reach it as far. But because over 200 years, we have settled this land permanently. So we have permanent towns and farms and everything, of course, we want to control fire because fire is dangerous. Hmm. When we removed fire from the landscape, we allowed Eastern red cedars to invade other areas because Eastern red cedar are fire intolerant. Once they burn, they do not resprout. but you'll hmm. see just a tremendous amount of Eastern red cedar on the landscape today because of human changes to the landscape. We have um, you know, suppressed fire, so now, if we want to better restore native grasslands, we need to reuse fire in controlled ways to control eastern red cedar. Mm-hmm. And And also, I'll mention, so there are private individuals also who have original unplowed prairie and they use it as for hay. And so they will hay the prairie vegetation uh, in, say July and you know bale it up and use it for uh for for forage in in you know in the in the dormant season and while haying continuously year after year after year isn't the best practice for prairies because that means all these fall blooming plants they're not really usually going to flower because mm-hmm. all that plant material has been removed not to mention insects that get bailed up and mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. So but because of that, hang also though prevents woody invasion. So in some ways, yeah. hay has protected a lot of prairies um, that we have left in our state. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the prairie that I know best because it's not too far from my house is Tucker Prairie, which I think is D- Department of Conservation owns it, I believe. No, or university? Who?
1: Um, Chaco Prairie is owned by the University of Missouri, but it's man it's managed by the conservation department.
0: Oh, okay. So I know they burn that sort of in sections every maybe every year. Um so the the section that's burned always just looks black and charred when they finish with it, and then plants start to come back. Are those seeds that have been sequestered over a long time in the soil, or are they new seeds that are blowing in from the other areas?
1: Well, um, let me back up and say that most plants you see in a prairie are perennial. Okay. So, And um, prairie plants evolve to have their growing points right at or right below the soil surface. So when you burn an area, you are not killing the growing points of those plants. So they are re-sprouting from the perennial, you know, the, the, that's the same plant. The same plants are, are mm-hmm. re-sprouting. However, there, obviously there are also plants germinating from seed as well um, in a prairie. And often, sure, there's seeds that have been, that have fallen from prairie plants you know, and just falling right down into the soil. But there are invasive plants that can wash in from rain or blow in from wind. And, and depend if there's bare soil, then um, those seeds can germinate. Um, many prairies also evolve with grazing from bison, in some cases elk. And that Grazing pressure is also was also a factor in the evolution of those prairie plants to have their growing points at or right below the soil surface so that they would resprout, you know, after grazing. Of course, if something is grazed really, 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 really hard, that can weaken, you know, those prairie plants um, just like a lot of other vegetation. Mm-hmm. Well why did prairies disappear
0: if they're if it's it sounds like it's a very resilient ecosystem it's got um it can survive fire it's it's you know growing back from roots or rhizomes or something that's underground so that it it can survive grazing too why did they disappear
1: mostly through land conversion so um, the the with the steel plow, mm-hmm. um, prairies uh, are have really really rich soil, especially in the glaciated plains. So prairies north of the Missouri River, that's so north of Missouri River is the glaciated part of Missouri, and those soils are really deep and rich ge- in general. And prairie plants can dr- can grow uh, with their roots reaching even 10 or more feet into the ground and prairie plants can be very long lived many decades and roots are constantly growing and constantly dying and so if you think about over thousands of years all of those roots growing and dying growing and dying other organic material produced by animals in a prairie all of that over thousands of years made incredibly fertile soil and that soil is very, very valuable for agriculture. So most of the prairie in Missouri has been converted to row crops. Mm. Um, Much of it also disappeared through other kinds of human development, subdivisions, roads, shopping areas, all the places where we work and play and live. Ah. And and we also did lose some to um, invasion of of woody, woody growth because of suppression of fire. But most through agricultural conversion and other kinds of land use.
0: huh. okay. Well, I can understand why why it's so valuable. Are there species you mentioned the uh, the butterfly, the fritillary, Are there other species that um, we would miss if we if we lost all the prairies?
1: Absolutely. If we lose prairie, we're going to lose species that can live nowhere else but on these prairies. And they can be species that we can see, like grass pink orchids and regal fritillary butterflies, uh, certain uh, native bees that are specialists on certain uh, prairie plants. But they would also be species we can't see with the naked eye. There are tremendous numbers of soil microbes in prairie soil that are not found in other soils Mm. and in fact there's been an entire phylum of some kind of soil bacteria found in the soil underneath an original unplowed prairie that has not been found in the soil of a former prairie that is now row crop. Mm. So The, you know, bacteria, fungi, and soil play so many different roles, and I I am not an expert on this by any means, but they play important roles in, for example, nutrient uptake in plant roots, um, many other roles. What are we, what knowledge are we losing by losing these prairie soils? There could be keys to better agriculture, for example, in those prairie soils. And that's why, you know, a species, a prairie species that's rare and endangered is rare and endangered because its habitat has been nearly eliminated.
0: And you are listening to a pre-recorded conversation with Carol David, the executive director of the Missouri Prairie Foundation. And we'll take a little musical break right now and then we'll come back with some more from that conversation. Musical break will be provided by Gene Goforth who of course was the mentor to John Hartford among many other things. This is an amazing tune that he recorded solo. Uh, It's called Cattle and the Corn and it's from the Fiddler's Dream CD that came with The Fiddler's Dream Book, written by Howard Marshall. you are listening to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM uh, here in Columbia, Missouri. My name is Margot McMillan and we are going to return to the conversation with Carol David and she was talking about some of the animals that are found on the prairie. So
1: there definitely are species, yes, that we would lose if we lost uh, prairie completely. And that's why, you know, a species, a prairie species that's rare and endangered is rare and endangered because its habitat has been nearly eliminated.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I was told by a soil scientist one time that um, when you look at a a pasture that has cattle on it or, you know, a sheep or bison or something, there's as much life below the surface in in weight, if you could get all those microbes out and weigh them, they would be as hefty as the animals that you see on top of the surface. Hmm. So a a lot of activity going on down there that we don't even understand yet.
1: Right, and the other thing that we have lost by mining prairie soils is we've lost tremendous amounts of carbon back into the atmosphere. Prairies are locking away atmospheric carbon in roots and soil. And when we break prairie sod, we are releasing a tremendous amount of carbon. And we already have done that in over the last 200 years. It's very important for for all of these reasons I've stated to protect as much original unplowed prairie as we can. And it's also critically important to establish plantings of prairie plants wherever we can. Um, those plants will store carbon in the ground. Those roots will um, help develop fertile soil. They will uh, uh, filter, slow down, and absorb storm water, which will protect streams. Prairie plants really are this incredible powerhouse. Um, you know, forests, wooded ecosystems, of course, also store carbon, but they're storing carbon mostly in the above-ground plant parts, whereas prairie is storing them below. ground in roots and storing it for a very very long time. So sometimes you see different things about oh we're going to do all these tree plantings for carbon capture. Well that could be appropriate but depending on where these trees are going to be planted it might be more appropriate to plant prairie species. So that's just something to be aware of. Um, So The other reason we need to save these original prairie remnants is because not only do they continue to provide vital habitat for many prairie and grassland dependent plants and animals, but also because they are seed sources. If we want to establish prairie plantings on farms, in cities, schoolyards, to beautify to provide pollinator habitat to to protect uh, streams by you know helping to manage stormwater all of these reasons if we want to do that we have to have seeds and a guaranteed seed source are original prairie remnants and ones that are managed well
0: so when you start about talking about seed sources um uh can people go out and collect seeds on some of these lands or is that um, illegal if they wanted to put prairie plants in their own in their own yard?
1: Well, first of all, in Missouri, before anybody collects seeds from any of any any other land, they need to seek permission of the landowner. Mm-hmm. And so if it's public land, like the conservation department land or federal land, state parks, they need to check with those entities for, you know, a privately owned prairie that your neighbor might own. Yeah, you definitely would want to seek permission. Mm -hmm. For Missouri Prairie Foundation prairies, we are a private landowner as well. We have contracts with seed harvesters. And so, um, they are paying us for a portion of the seeds that they collect and sell. And even, even so, even, even, even someone who wanted to collect a small amount would need to contact us, would need to get permission, and and perhaps we would set up a contract. Depends if it's for a research purpose. Um, we do have agreements, but there are people making their living, you know, uh, collecting Mm -hmm. seed, and we want to um and and we have formal agreements with them so we want to honor those agreements and also protect our prairie resources Mm -hmm. um you know in addition to you know we have certain rules for our um seed contractors about how much they can gather how they can gather it whether it be mechanized or by hand when to collect it you don't want to have any kind of tire treads out there on the prairie when um the soil is soft because you can really damage the soil. So there's a there's a lot to it, um, but it, it, you can buy seed from many of our grow native professional members. So in addition to protecting and, and owning and managing prairie, we also run the 21 year old grow native program, and this is a program to promote the use of native plants and developed landscapes, like on farms, or uh, you know in your backyard, school gardens, and so forth. GrowNative.org is the website. We've got just hundreds of resources and we have a a resource guide and you can click on that and you can find um, businesses that um, grow native plants, sell native seed, who will do native landscaping for you. You know, they'll design a landscape for you. They'll maintain it. So lots of resources there. And also we've got just... Uh, We have a native plant database that's searchable, so if you want, say you want yellow blooming flowers in the fall, you can click on yellow flowers, pollinators, you know, and and get a list of plants. Or you want plants that will attract hummingbirds, and you want shrubs, you can click on on those criteria and get a list. So it's really useful. Yeah, that's great to know.
0: I I didn't know that... um... Grow native was a part of of your organization. so that's that's great to know. You mentioned pollinators, and I'm wondering about pollinators. Um, I've noticed in my own yard that some of the plants that I was you know counted on to attract pollinators are not really doing doing it, doing the job um, in the last couple of years. Are pollinators having trouble surviving?
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's something that we should all be concerned about and it's all something that we can do something about. Um, pollinating insects uh, have been declining for many years. Uh, one, they've lost a tremendous amount of habitat, also due to uh, pesticides and um, other chemicals You know, in, in our environment. And, uh, but but this is something that we can do something about. Even if you don't own a home, you can, if you rent, you can create a planter with some native uh, flowers in it to provide some pollen and nectar sources for pollinating insects. And, and just in case, you know, pe- you hear the pollinating, you know, pollinators all the time, and some people may not be aware, when we're talking about a pollinating insect, we mean an insect that's visiting a flower and transferring pollen from that flower to another flower of the same species. Mm-hmm. So that's what pollination is. I, I mean, I know you know that, Mark, but just in case anybody doesn't know- sure, that's what, important. What we, what we mean by pollinating insect. And there are some insects that are pollen, pollen generalists, they, which means that they might get pollen from many different kinds of flowers in your uh, in your yard or on your farm. Whereas some will zone in on just very just a, just a few species or sometimes even one species. Um, butterflies transport pollen, moths transport pollen, beetles, flies, wasps, and of course bees. And of all of these kinds of insects, bees are the most efficient kinds of pollinators. Because if you think about a butterfly, a butterfly is visiting a flower to get nectar and accidentally some pollen might get on its furry body and then it might go to to another flower of the same species and some of that pollen will rub off onto that other flower but bees are actively collecting pollen to feed their their young or their 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 their, their yeah their offspring and and they're collecting nectar and so they are equipped to collect pollen for their own use, but in the process of visiting from flower to flower, some of the pollen is coming off and pollinating um, the you know the other flower. And whether or not bees will visit one kind of plant or several kinds of plant, when they go out on a foreign uh, uh, a pollen foraging trip, they tend to visit only one kind of one species at a time. So, you know, there's a bumblebee, uh it's going to go out and forage pollen from, say, partridge pea. And then, you know, maybe later that day or the next day, it might go out and collect pollen from coneflowers. And that's very important because pollen grains are specific for each kind of plant. And so if you have pollen grains from partridge pea landing on a coneflower, you're not going to have fertilization. You're not going to have pollen, you know, you're not going to have pollinization or fertilization. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have all the foods that we enjoy because we depend on bees, especially bumblebees to pollinate tomatoes and eggplant and peppers. And we depend on squash bees to pollinate squash. We have a a fact sheet uh, on our Grow Native website about um, native plants to plant next to or near your vegetable and fruit plants Mm. that have a similar flower structure. They might be in the same family, say, as some of your fruits and vegetables that will provide additional pollen and nectar sources for those bees. So they have more robust populations and there will be more bees. So you will get better fertilization of your fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. for example, um, okra and hibiscus those are in the same family they have a similar floral structure so if you think if you you think about it you know a lot of our garden plants they're blooming for you know maybe a few weeks Mm -hmm. and those bees that are pollinating might live for more than three weeks so where what what other food are they going to get so um and I can I don't know send a link to you or or uh, you know of that specific back sheet if that's helpful to your listeners
0: this conversation has been uh, of interest, I think, to anybody who is near a prairie or just interested in prairies. Uh, If you're lucky enough to live in the Midwest, you are probably close to a prairie, maybe closer than you think you are. But now we're going to pivot and we're going to talk about prairies in mid-Missouri. So it might not be quite so generally interesting for everyone. So if I'm going to lose you now... uh, Thanks for listening and we'll pick you up maybe on another podcast. And of course, if you are interested in staying tuned and hearing about these prairies in mid-Missouri, you can always come visit us. Advise us in mid-Missouri to to go see. In
1: in mid-Missouri, unfortunately, there's very little original prairie left in mid-Missouri. But there is Tucker Prairie, which is an original unplowed prairie that you mentioned that um, is owned by the University of Missouri and managed by the Department of Conservation. That's also a national natural landmark. Huh. So it has been designated as such by the National Park Service. There's a few other prairies in the state that have that designation as well. Um, Taborville Prairie, which is in south, or uh, sort of west, west central Missouri, owned by the Conservation Department. The Missouri Prairie Foundation's Golden Prairie also is a national national natural landmark that's in southwest Missouri. But anyway, back to mid-Missouri. So there's Tucker Prairie. There's also Prairie Fort Conservation Area. That is not an original prairie. It's a prairie planting, but it's a really, really diverse, beautiful, wonderful planting. And that is just south of Williamsburg. Hmm. Um, the Missouri Prairie Foundation, we don't own any prairie right in central Missouri, but we, we own several in Pettis County, south of Sedalia. So that's not too far away. Um, there's also another wonderful resource in Missouri um, called Prairie Garden Trust. And it is does not have original unpiled prairie, but it has a really beautiful prairie planting. And it has original glades and, and original woodlands and I mentioned the glades and woodlands because there are some, you know, prairie species, prairie flowers and grasses in those areas as well. Prairie Garden Trust in New Bloomfield. It's a private um, place that is a free, but uh, uh, you just need to make an appointment to visit and you can go to, to their website, Prairie Garden Trust.
0: Hmm, great. Great. So people could go there and have a picnic and um, just get a, get their fill of prairie for the day, right?
1: And they have ponds um, uh, and uh, they have many nice trails. Some are paved, some are mown. Um, so you can experience uh, prairie plantings, uh, wetland plants and ponds also uh, uh, walk through, you know, woodlands and down in, actually to Hillers Creek. Hmm. So you can really take in a lot of different kind of habitats in a, in a you know, just a couple of hours.
0: Oh, that sounds wonderful. And what about educational type um, resources? Do you have recommendations or do you do you do
1: classes? Uh, yes. So if you go to our Missouri Prairie Foundation website is Moprairie.org. And we have uh, web pages for all of the each of the prairies that we own. We have um probably hun- probably hundreds, I think hundreds of PDF. <laughs> Uh, art, uh, articles from the Missouri Prairie Journal. Missouri Prairie Journal is an educational resource that the Missouri Prairie Foundation has been publishing since 1979. It's one of the few magazines in the country devoted to prairie, and um, it's available in print form is sent to, to members as a benefit of membership. We also have, and so I invite all your listeners to become Prairie Foundation members as well and help support mm-hmm. our work, and um, you can, but you can find whole issues and individual articles organized by topic on our website. We also have lots of other resources on the moprairie.org website about prairie ecology. We um, have a webinar and masterclass series, and uh, we've been doing this since the pandemic started, and you can find all of our free webinar uh, recordings at Uh, our YouTube channel, Missouri Prairie Foundation YouTube channel. And then we have webinars or masterclasses every other other Wednesday. So we have one coming up on Wednesday on native plants and mushrooms.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, Carol, David, thank you so much for giving me some time and um, educating people about prairies. This is great. Is there anything else you'd like to just throw out there?
1: Well, I'd like to thank all the farmers and other landowners who have um, original Unplowed Prairie on their property. Thank you so much for protecting it. And if you would like any um, help, if you need help, uh, you can um, uh, contact your local USDA office and ask for cost share programs to help you you know, maintain it. It's so important that it be maintained and not plowed up. Um, anyone who, who wants to learn more about our work, support our work, um, can visit us at moprairie.org. One other thing I will mention, we do have a number of native plant sales that we organize throughout the state year round. Um, We don't have one coming in Columbia, but we usually, we have one, you have a couple in the spring in Columbia, Mm -hmm. so. um, or if there are communities out there that you'd like to for us to try to help organize a native plant sale in your community, just let us know. You can you can find our general email address at our website. Great, great.
0: So you would even come to get get growers to come to a a sale like at a library or something like that, and um just to spread the word.
1: Well, well, and to, well, for them to make money by you know selling plants and to get people to buy plants. Yeah, I mean we we you know, it has to, it's a lot of work for vendors to bring out, you know, truckloads of plants and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a community that um, there are people that, you know, the community thinks there's a lot of demand and people would come out and purchase plants. Sure, we can try to organize something. Great, great. Well,
0: thank you. I appreciate your your time and your work. Uh, it's just great to learn more about Missouri pra- Prairie Foundation.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was a conversation with Carol David, the executive director of Missouri Prairie Foundation. And we do have time for a chore of the week. As many landowners know, September brings with it hunting season. And if you are a hunter, you know the rules. And if you are a landowner you will hope that any hunters that want to use your property that they ask you permission and uh, listen to any rules you have. They respect your fences. One way that you can ensure that the hunters follow the laws is to mark the perimeter of your property with purple paint. Missouri is one of the States and really the founding state of the idea of marking property with the boundaries with a simple slash of paint that uh, serves the same role as a no trespassing sign. So it, it takes a little time but you can use spray paint, you can use paint with a brush, any kind of um, Paint that you want. Any shade of purple will suffice, and all you have to do is take your can of paint and walk around the perimeter of your property and spray. And usually, we try to spray our trees or fence posts about twenty feet apart to make sure that it's pretty visible. Maybe ten or twelve feet would be better, but you know you have to be practical. Uh, but but be sure to, to spray around any gates and any fence posts that you've got. Anything that's, that's pretty visible will work well. And hunters know to respect those boundaries and to stay back from them. So basically what, we're, what we've been talking about all of this hour is the idea of uh, settlement and the idea of uh, folks farming land that used to be prairie. It's no mystery to most of us how we got to this place where we are now. And I guess I could repeat that we're at a place where the month of yellow flowers turned into the month of the harvest moon. So that's what settlement will do for nature. Thanks for listening, and we hope to find you on another podcast one of these days. We'll go out the same way we came in with Nettie Van and Bart Ramsey and uh, Beaumont Bragg.